Well, take your Bible and look uh, at uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, and we have the joy of uh, looking at uh, a very familiar passage, at least it's uh, known, and I've entitled the message, uh, Jesus Calls Us to Be a Neighbor, to Be a Neighbor. Now, the State Farm Insurance Company, and how many of you have State Farm? Some of you have State Farm? Anybody here? Hey, all right, Sue. We got one. Okay, Dwayne. Okay. I mean, they must have made billions of dollars off that little jingle. Now, is that not a Madison Avenue uh, <clears throat> victory? You need a victory lap if the common people hardly think about it or the poor pastor trying to think of a good way to introduce a sermon, and your little jingle comes bouncing through his little head like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I mean, that's not bad, right? I like the little one, like Nike, just do it. I, you know, it's, there are less words in it, and you sort of like, or have it your way. Where's that? Have it your way? Is it Burger King or McDonald's? Oh, yeah. I see. I, or how, how about have it your way? What's that? Have it your way? No? That was McDonald's, wasn't it? Is that Burger King too? What was McDonald's? Oh, thank you. I'm going home. <laughs> I set you up, Roger. <laughs> but this, what, what, a, what, a, what a sweet thing for somebody. Boy, he should get a bonus. State Farm as used for years. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Now, I, I don't know if that's true. I really don't. Dwayne, is that true? Well, you've never had an accident, have you? Uh-oh. Now, come on, Dwayne. You're, you're, you're messing up my introduction. So they were there, but a neighbor, but they were like, uh, they were away down. <laughs> like a good neighbor will be there someday, right? We'll be there. That's right. Well, check, make sure you're paying your premium. Then we'll let you know if we're a really a good neighbor, right? Well, I don't know if it's really true, some of you, but, uh, but every Christian uh, must realize that if you know Christ the Lord is your Savior, God calls you to be a good neighbor, to be a good neighbor. It was Emerson that once said in his writing, offenses make good neighbors, and you can imagine why that's really true. But uh, God calls us to be good neighbors, and this is a passage that uh, all of you uh, know something about. Many, many people know of this, may not know where it comes from exactly. I would say most probably don't. But Jesus taught this, uh, our need to be good neighbors in the parable called the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, I would su submit to you that most people have heard of it. Many people, even in this biblically illiterate day, they'll use the term, be a good Samaritan. Many probably don't even know it came from the Bible, uh, but in fact it does. And if people know it's in the Word, probably most don't know the context uh, that uh, it is found leading up to the Good Samaritan. Well, Jesus is going to use a very unlikely character uh, in this Good Samaritan uh, parable, directing us, you and I as believers in Christ, to live a life of love. We are to love the Lord with all our being all the time, and we're to love all other people, all of them. It's a tall order. And let me get, get ahead of myself. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it. You can't. But God wants to do it through you. He does. It's his love flowing through you and through me. And the reality is you and I can do a lot more than we think we can with the power of Christ flowing through us in loving God with all our heart, our soul, and strength, and, 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 and fellow men and women, boys and girls. And that's what he's saying. And so Jesus, in using this unlikely character, directing us to live this life of love, and he calls us to resist any attempt to shrink the neighborhood. Don't shrink the neighborhood. Honey, I shrunk the kids. Don't shrink the neighborhood. Don't do it. We're going to see that that's what's going on here. 
Don't shrink it. You have you read in Detroit, you know, so many people have moved out, vacant homes and loss of jobs. They're actually bulldozing blocks and blocks of vacated houses. Detroit used to be the city that had the single most single family homes in the whole United States. And the loss of so many jobs there in the rust belt along there, they were vacant. You know, how do you like to live on a block that you were the only one living there and all the houses around you were vacated? You know, and the, it's a, just a welcome sign for vandalism and, and all kinds of other stuff. And, uh, and so they decide we'll just bulldoze blocks and blocks and we'll shrink the neighborhoods. We're, we're not to shrink the neighborhoods, we'll see this. And more than that, Jesus, we're going to see, is really the ultimate Good Samaritan. For I remind you that love comes from the heart, and it always responds with the hands. It comes from the heart, as we say, and it responds with the hands. And I'll uh, say, uh, I give you another theme. A neighbor is not something we have. Do you have neighbors? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know what we mean by that. We have neighbors. But here in our text, Jesus is going to teach you, a neighbor is not something you have, like who is my neighbor? A neighbor is something you are. Now, that's not just a play on words. It means uh, altogether something totally different. So a neighbor is not something you have. It's something you are. You and I are to be good neighbors to all that we should meet, all those in need. Well, two questions. Uh, driving home for us our total inability to earn eternal life, for that really is the context. The reality is to that question, if we could earn eternal life, then Jesus did not have to leave the glory of heaven and die on Calvary's cross. That's exactly right. You know, you should say that to folks that want to be so-called tolerant, make all religious faiths so-called on the same plane. They're all equal. They're all roads to heaven. And just say, well, if that's really true, then Jesus really never needed to come, right? If I could have simply been a good Hindu, then and I'm going to heaven, then Christ did not have to come. Nah. There's only one way that salvation was provided. There's only one name given under heaven whereby we are saved. Well, two questions, and, and thankfully there are two. Hopefully the pastor will be able to move through this with some rapidity here. The first question, verses 25-28, is what's the standard for us to, to earn eternal life anyway? What's the standard? I meet people that say, I'm trying to keep the Ten Commandments. Well, I don't believe in luck, but you say, good luck. Good luck. That's, <laughs> how you doing with that anyway? Well, I'm sort of, I'm, you know, I didn't murder anybody. Are you sure? Are you sure? Well, no, I haven't killed. Do you know what Jesus' definition of murder is? Well, what's that? Do you ever read Sermon on the Mount? No. You ever been angry at someone? Same sin as murder. It is. You're angry at someone. If you knew that you could get away with it, you'd go like, like Cain and you'd throw a rock and kill him. you just carry out that rage. And Jesus said, it's the same sin in your heart. You have violated the Ten Commandments. Or I'm keeping the, ten, uh, the golden rule. Oh, yeah? How's that going? Or they'll say, God helps them that helps themselves. I said, you think that's in the Bible? Well, yeah, I, I heard it's in it. That is, not, that is the exact opposite. Does that sound like Jesus? God helps them who help themselves. And the Lord says, that, I'm glad I help myself. Nah, it's exactly the opposite. You've been hoodwinked. And so here's the question. What's the standard then? Uh, for us to earn eternal life. Let's look at our text in, in Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 25, and here's the setting. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's the context. And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? Let me stop. Jesus is going to answer on his level here now. And this, the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, 
Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with this parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went up to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus said, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Well, two questions then, driving home our total inability to earn eternal life. The first one is, what's the standard? Jesus is talking, uh, he's approached, and he's talking to this uh, Jewish lawyer uh, who was trained in the Scriptures. Now, the lawyer is not like the lawyers that you and I would think of graduating from uh, a law school. Liz just graduated, and you guys had a party on that and and sat for the bar exam. Haven't heard anything, I'm sure, yet. But uh, it was different. That's common law. That's English law. That's American law. That's very different. In, In this day, if you were a lawyer, you were a master of the Old Testament Scriptures. You were, we would say, a theologian. So you knew the ins and outs of uh, the Mosaic Law. Uh, You knew all the uh, writings and commentaries of the rabbis that that spoke about the issues, and you could quote them and cite them and all the rest. And so that's who it is that he is is talking to uh, here. It's not Raymond Burr or one of these uh, type guys. He's a theologian. Uh, Dr. Luke tells us his motivation in asking uh, this question, and he's... uh, He's uh, trying to set Jesus up. Now, that's quite a tall order in itself, don't you think? How'd you like to set up the uh, God-made flesh, and you're going to try and trick him now? Uh, we, we know from Satan's uh, uh, temptation with Jesus that Jesus said in Deuteronomy 6.16 that how foolish it is to test the Lord your God. In fact, it's a wicked thing to do that. We, we ought never test the Lord you know, jump off the pinnacle of the temple just to see if God will really take care of you and send his angels. Didn't he promise in Psalm 91? Don't test the Lord. But Luke, uh, by the Spirit of God and by his work and however else, knew that that was his motivation. So it was tainted. He's not there simply uh, seeking innocent inquiry. Uh, he's trying to set him up. And, and so... Uh, perhaps he's uh, desiring to parade his knowledge like a young man coming <clears throat> off a high-level degree and, and wants uh, folks to know, listen, I've paid a lot for this training and uh, loves to show all the things that he's learned. And, and so he's going, to, uh, he's going to use Jesus as a test case. I always thought and I always taught my seminarians you know, get all, the, uh, get all the training you can, but don't ever parade it. Don't parade that. That's pride, and God hates pride. Uh, use your education, and whatever you've received, use it for God's glory, and use it like an old railroad watch. You know what those old railroad watches with the chain, and they put it in their pocket and see if the train's on time? Use it like that. <clears throat> Pull it out and use your training Looking at the, and then fold it up and stick it in your pocket. Would you do that? Don't wave it around and, and don't do that. 
Well, he's testing the Lord, and I submit to you, probably attempting to parade all the things that he's learned. Well, to, to help this man, Jesus responds with a question. Sounds like Socrates, you know. You answer a question with a question. You know, somebody said, <clears throat> you ever hear that? If, if you keep asking why to a question, I think it can only go four or five times before you either drive them nuts or the conversation is completely bizarre. Have you ever tried that? I used to do that. Uh, Terry, go cut the grass. Why, Dad? Well, because it's a foot tall. Why? You know what I mean? Uh, and then about the second why, I'm headed out the door probably being chased because my father realized I was not into a horticultural type of lecture there. But <laughs> trying to waste his time, but you could do that uh, in, 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 in any event. So the Lord answers his question by asking a question and saying, what does the Bible say? Now that's a, that's a very good thing always to do. I get asked that a lot. Pastor, what do you think about this or that? A lot of times I'll say, you know, yeah, that, that really doesn't matter too much what I think. You know, I could be right or wrong. I hope I'm right, but I've not always been right. You know, you hit the ball one out of three times in Major League Ball, you're in Cooperstown. I hope it's a little more than that. But what we want to know is what does God's Word say? That's our final authority. And that ought to be what you think and the way you do it. Take people to the text. The Lord is a great example here. What does the Bible say about this? Uh, this whole question. What uh, must uh, uh, I, uh, I do uh, to inherit eternal life? Well, see, the lawyer answers Jesus correctly. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, 5, the Shema. That's the Hebrew word to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, Thy strength and thy mind. And in the Jews, uh, that's most, many of you have heard that, Shema. Simply, they call it the Shema. That's the, it means to hear, hear. And it comes from 6, 4, 5. Hear, hear, O Israel, hear. The Lord our God is one. Love the Lord. And he quotes right in 6, 5. And then he adds to it Leviticus 19, 18, and that's... Uh, we are to love our neighbor as we already love ourselves. So what's the first thing? We're to love the Lord our God with the, our total being. Total being. That's what God made us for. That's why God made, made Adam. That's why he made Eve. And they, they failed. And uh, that's why God made you. You were made for God. I was made for God. To love him with the totality of our being. And he goes on to give, like a, a dissecting your frog in your bio, biology class. What's that mean? He's going to dissect it right there in a little Petri dish. What that means is with your heart. That's the center of all that you are. With your heart. With your soul. That's your life. With your strength. That's your energy. And with your mind. That's your thoughts. And we're, we're the totality of our being. Now watch this. It means, and all the days. I mean, forever. We're to love him with all that we are forever. Now, that is incredible. That's, the, that's, the, uh, that's what he's teaching in Deuteronomy 6.4. We're to do it continually. How do I know that? Uh, in the Hebrew, it's a present tense command. Present tense means you just keep doing it. You keep doing it. A little boy said to his mother one day, Mom, how long do I have to brush my teeth? I mean, can I stop next Tuesday? No, you will do it all the days of your life. You like that, Mark? You like that? that Taylor? All the day. Oh, man. Oh, man. All, forever, continually. Well, thank the Lord it's not 24-7, right? What happened to your gums? They disappeared a long time ago. <laughs> It's a continual sense. We're to love the totality of our being forever. And the way that uh, this, this, this lawyer put the question, you should know, uh, in the Greek it would be, having done what I've done, will I inherit eternal life? He had the idea that he did something big and grand, and now do I inherit this gift? His question is really a self-contradiction. I mean, he's saying, it's a gift, but I did something. So the whole thing collapses on itself anyway. 
but the Lord meets him at that point. He says, love the Lord with all your being forever, without end. Wow. Wow. And second, we are to love our neighbors, get this, as we already love ourselves. Love your neighbor, Leviticus 19.18. You already love yourself. Love your neighbor that way. Well, what's that mean? Do we go around hugging ourselves? Hey, give me, another, give me another hug here. Oh, oh, that feels so good. Thank you. No, that's not what that means. It means, you know, you like to live indoors? I, yeah. As a Boy Scout, not a real one like some of you guys. But, and camping's fun. Some of you were in the service and did bivouac, right? Had the fun of that, I guess, right? But indoors, pretty nice, right? Warm water, even toilets inside. That's one of the great blessings of the day. We think everyone's always... Didn't the Romans have that? No. No, you know, and living indoors. How about eating? You know, like, yeah, I feed, I feed this mouth, and it's anatomically just perfect how God designed it. I've said that before. It'd be awful if the elbow bent here and you'd have... You know, it's just... Aren't we just creatures of chance? Biological, evolutionary survival, that's absolute nonsense. God, I'm going to bend it here, so here comes the cheesesteak. <gasps> oh, perfect. I feed myself, right? And you like to eat too, right? That's what, and you bathe, and you clothe, and you, you, know, you like to have a few bucks in your pocket. Driving beats walking. Have you figured that one out? We may all end up walking, but at this point... Right? So we care for. That's what that means. That's a, it's the same imagery as how a man is supposed to take care of his wife. That it, as a man loves himself, doesn't mean give me, I'm going to kiss the mirror and give myself a hug here. It means just the way that you love and care for yourself. We are to love our other men and women, boys and girls, who have needs like, we, like it was us. That's his point. That's what he is saying here. That's why this is called the law of love or the great commandment. And, uh, and so he lays it out. Well, Jesus, the master professor, gives him an A. Look at D. Correct. A plus. School's out for summer. Hooray. But then what, what did he tell him? Well, it's not enough to know these things. And, you know, we know a lot of things. There's a warning here. It's believers that study the Word and have faithful teaching from the pulpit and good uh, radio teaching and things on the net and all that kind of thing. We know a lot of stuff, but we're sort of way back in what our practicing is of that truth. And this man knew it and uh, answered right, but uh, his doing was far back from what he knew to do. Oh, it's always behind. You always have to know something first before you practice it. But it ought not to be a big gap if you know Christ. You ought, Lord, help me. You ought to come here. Lord, open my heart. Teach me. I want to grow. I want to be more like Christ today when I leave grace. That uh, one or two things that I'm going to start today, build this into my life. I don't care how you do it. Put out three by five cards. Circle it on the handout put it on your desk, uh, write it on your mirror, that this week, and work consciously in building these things in your life. He was not doing that. He was probably not redeemed whatsoever in any sense of the word. Wow. How about that? Well, Jesus gave him an A. For us to love the Lord in this way, now notice so, to, to always love him with the totality of our being all the time would mean what? That we would never sin. Now think, think of the extent of that. If we love the Lord with all our being, all the time, forever, we would never sin. I love you, Lord, all the time. love you this morning. Our tongues would not be waving in the wind slander of somebody. I'm just loving you, Lord. I hate them. You see that it's incongruous. Or I love you, Lord... Here's his wallet. You see? <laughs> or, I love you so much, Lord, I think I'll take his wife. You see what I mean? It, you, you would never do it. You see, you'd never do it. You, you would not do it. 
and to love the Lord with the totality of your being 24-7 all the days of your life means that you would live truly a righteous life. You would never sin. And it would be total obedience. And for us, because we're born in sin and we sin, such a thing is impossible. Impossible. This man should have been cut to the quick and thrown himself at Jesus' feet, confessing his utter failure to be able to do this. That's what he should have done. And to ask for God's saving grace and mercy. Lord, I can't do this. You must help me. I'm a disaster. Oh, God, please. But he didn't, did he? Like so many today. And then, but what does he try to do? He tries to lower the bar. I used to jump uh, uh, in uh, part of my track experience. I used to, I used to do the, the high jump. I did, I did a little bit of everything. <laughs> Never did anything quite well, so they kept moving. Sobolski, you go to the field for the workout today. Today, they, You know how they is. Go down to the pole vaulting pit, try that. That's a terrifying thing. You run with a pole, the fiberglass pole, and as they said, run as fast as you can. When you get near that box, drop the thing out. It'll spring you over. <laughs> I said, I'm going to do what? <laughs> that's, a, that's a terrifying thing. Yeah, you kind of, and if you don't run full blast, it, it doesn't work. You got to hit that box and drop that baby in. Whoop, toes up, the whole thing. And I did high jump and all that, and then they move it up, you know, to qualify, and you keep passing, and then qualify. Well, he's going the opposite way. Okay, here's the bar. God, here's the bar. Love God all the time with your totality of your being and your neighbors yourself, and, and you're going to see the Lord. He's going to try and, well, put that down around 4-6. I think I can get over it there. That's what he's trying. He's, that's what he's going to do. And isn't that in our heart? We, we, we desire to do, lower the bar so I can get over it myself, and I feel really good about myself. And uh, me and God, we sort of earned uh, salvation and the forgiveness of sin. That's what he tries to do here, so that he get over and feel self-righteous. But Jesus is saying, look, it's total obedience, not uh, minimum obedience. And, uh, and so he doesn't, doesn't do it. Can a person, here's the question, and can a person be saved by good works? The answer is yes, apart from being born in sin. Now, we, we, we're already tainted to begin with. But if you could set that aside, hypothetically, I know you can't. But could a person? The answer is yes. The reality is, the reality is, the enormous problem here is, is that you must keep the law perfectly, without failure, all your life. And there's only one man who ever did that. And that was the Lord Jesus and he was born without sin. And he never knew sin. And he is the only one, the second Adam, perfect in every way. For Romans, Paul wrote in Romans 3.20. Do we, do we have that, Jen? Look at Romans 3.20. And then we're going to look at Galatians, what Paul had to say. In Romans 3.20, for by the works of the law, no human being, that's man or woman, boy or girl, will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And then Galatians 3.10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things. Notice the all things written in the book of the law, and then do them. I mean, it's got to be 100%. Or you're a lawbreaker, a transgressor, and a sinner. Wow. So what is the standard for eternal life? Love God with all your heart, the totality of your being, all your days, and your neighbor as yourself. Wow. Well, what's the second question as we hurry through our our passage, verses 29 to 37, uh, who then are the neighbors that we are to love? 
Who are the neighbors? Now, it's not, honey, I shrunk the kids, but now you're going to watch. He's going to attempt to shrink the hood. Shrink the neighborhood right down to this many people, and I think I might be able to do that. In verse 29, let's just reread again. But he, again, his motive, desiring to justify himself, that's the lawyer, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? We used to play cowboys and Indians. I know that's not politically correct to call them Indians today. But we did, and some of you are old enough, and you're saying, well, what's wrong with that? But we always did, where are the Indians? Where are, you know, like this. And that's what he's doing. Where are my neighbors? I don't see them. I don't see any of them. And who are my neighbors is what he's saying. Dr. Luke, again, gives the motive, 29. He's attempting to find a loophole in the laws to man to love his neighbors. He's to love himself as he already loves himself. Who is my neighbor? He's really attempting to save face. He's been embarrassed. He asked this big theological question to the Lord Jesus. The Lord answers on his term. He's not standing there alone. He's got his buddies around him. They're probably snickering at the ease at which Jesus was able to go right and dissect his heart and made him come up wanting. And so, he's trying to save face. <clears throat> yes, yeah, of course, Lord, that's right, you're right. But let me ask a second. Who are my neighbors? Okay, you want to go that way. Well, you should know in one, the Jews considered only other Jews as their neighbors. You weren't a Jew, it didn't matter if you were next door, you were, uh, you were dog dirt, you were not the neighbor, you didn't deserve help whatsoever. Uh, and so they had a huge loophole. You know, the world be damned and only the Jew kind of a thing. Uh, Jesus answers him with a story, and it's the parable to answer his question in 30 through 35 and looking for a loophole, the answer. And loophole, let me say this, sinners are always looking for loopholes. Have you ever noticed that? It's the big but. Yeah, 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 but. Right? That's none of you, but you have friends that do that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I found a loophole, found a loophole, and we start feeling pretty good about ourselves. Well, the Lord Jesus is a master storyteller. I can't wait to hear him tell the stories in heaven. Won't that be something? You read in the Word the stories he tells out of common, ordinary life, and uh, he's a phenomenal storyteller. That's one of the reasons why we love the book of James so much, because his half-brother James it was a great story as well uh, in a, a, the art of telling stories. It's a great way of teaching. Well, the Lord is going to tell the story of the, um, the, uh, the man who was walking on the Jericho Road who was robbed and beaten and left for dead. He begins in verse 30. Now, that was a very dangerous road. I've had occasion to be on that road uh, Number of times, it drops 3,800 feet from Jerusalem down to Jericho, to the plain. Um, it's uh, way below sea level, about 1,200 feet below sea level. Uh, Jericho is a permanent pocket of heat and humidity. Uh, Jericho means the city of palms. And it was a rugged, windy path that made its way down. It was dangerous. I mean, there were robbers and crooks that hung out in the shadows, and if you didn't uh, go in a caravan with a bunch of buddies, uh, you probably were asking someone to beat you up, so lift your wallet, your gold, and more, and maybe leave you for dead. That's the setting. The Lord said it. They all knew about it. Maybe this comes off the daily paper, the Jerusalem Times. Maybe so. Well, he's, uh, the man is uh, traveling, uh, and he's headed down, and uh, he's beaten and robbed, left for dead. Number two, it seemed, though, did it not, in verse 31, that help is on the way. Here comes the Calvary. You know, da, 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 da. yeah, the Calvary's coming. What, in this story? Here comes the priest. It's an Old Testament priest. 
uh, coming from, no doubt, the temple and his term of service there. Uh, he is coming down, uh, walking. Uh, he sees this dying man. And uh, for all intent and purposes, uh, what a good fortune for this man to have a priest coming. Going to help this man, this man of mercy, this man of the cloth, if you will, right? But what does the priest do in 31? He sees him, and he crosses the street, avoids him, passes on the other side, the text says. Wasn't convenient to help. Have you ever noticed helping folks, unscheduled help, is most of the time not convenient? Uh, when they come up, they're not usually written in my daytimer. They're not. It's not convenient. It takes time. It, uh, you can throw a schedule out the window. It can cost money. It can be messy. It can extract a cost in a lot of ways. In this man of mercy, this priest who knew better, uh, Never helps him. Why? Why? We're not told why. Uh, maybe he was on a tight time schedule. Wasn't convenient. Maybe he would have thought, if uh, the man's dead, if I touch him, I'll become unclean, ceremonially unclean. And therefore, uh, then i got to go through seven days of cleaning rituals. And I can't do that. I'm more important than that. I'm busy. I've got to, for whatever reason, he, he doesn't help. Well, then three... Then Jesus told, and here we go, good, good for a Levite's coming. Now, a Levite uh, is a, a good way to think, is an assistant to the priest. He would help in the temple area he, uh, uh, in, in carrying out some of the, uh, the work that needed to be done. And so as an assistant to the priest, surely uh, he's going to help in Jesus' story. But what does he do? Same thing as the priest. He sees it. It's not convenient. He crosses to the other side, and he does nothing to help this dying man. Both of these men, no doubt, were coming from worship at the temple in Jerusalem. In essence, Jesus is asking, who will love this dying man? Who? 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 I'm reminded the. Uh, you cannot define your neighbor in advance, according to this text. But you can only be a neighbor when the moment of mercy arrives. And both of these men failed miserably. They failed. Sin of omission. You know, there is such a thing. You know, most of the time we think of sins of commission. Things we do, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have thought that. Those are sins of commission, we commit them. But you know that we sin plenty of times, sins of omission. Things that God puts in our heart and we say no. Things that we know we ought to do and we don't do. Here's a good example right here. They, they didn't get involved. That was a sin. They should have been their brother's keeper, according to Leviticus 19.18. Well, the third man comes, and he's the hero in the story. He's a surprising character. He's a Samaritan. He saw the man dying. He had compassion on him. Uh, and uh, he, uh, he's the last person a Jew would ever have expected to help him. We've talked in days gone by about the Samaritans. They were half-breeds. They were despised. They, uh, they would often fight. Some, one man wrote, if uh, the man was conscious at all and saw that it was a Samaritan probably helping, he probably would have refused to help. I mean, there, there, there was no love loss here. And here in the story of our Lord, it, it's a Samaritan. Surprising. You can almost see their jaws hanging open as our Lord, the master storyteller, driving home this truth, calling us to be neighbors to all that we come across near and far in need. Well, he has compassion on them. And listen, compassion is far more than a feeling. You say, well, I feel these things. Listen, compassion uh, is not compassion unless there's action. 
You tie those two together in, in your brain. You say, well, I felt so badly for him. Well, good, that's a start. But compassion and action have to be tied together if it's going to be biblical compassion. The Samaritan illustrates that for us. He sees him. Uh, uh, he has compassion on him. Look, look at the number of things that he does. Uh, he, 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 uh, he cares for his wounds. You know, the oil that he poured out was an olive oil, and that was a soothing thing. The wine had alcohol in it. That was a disinfectant thing. The oil was valuable, so it's costing him at that. It's costing him his wine, uh, cost at that. But he's caring for his wounds. And uh, more than that, he puts them on his animal. And I would suppose, as he put this man near death up on the animal, that meant he had to walk then. This stranger, complete stranger, and now he's going to walk because now the man is laying across the saddle, if we think of the western United States and days gone by. He took him to an inn. It wasn't the Hampton Inn, but it was a place for lodging and care in that day. Then he stayed with him that night. How do we know that? The text says, if you look at the next day, in verse 35, he, he just didn't do a, a, a hit and run. You know, here it is, here's your problem, i got to go. He stayed with him. It, it took him time. It, it took his time. It took his money. It took his involvement. Uh, he's the real hero in this story. He was willing to be inconvenienced, and he gave sacrificially of his time and his money to care for this man who was completely unknown to him. He helped the man merely because the man needed help. He was a neighbor to him. He didn't shrink the neighborhood and say, is he in my neighborhood here? Uh, no, he's not. I don't need to help him. And we set up all kinds of neighborhoods, don't we? Economically, oh, they're the poor. Oh, they're the poor. They keep hitting the Let them get it, and maybe they'll. No, racially, educationally, geographically, linguistically. Uh, we set up all sorts of neighborhoods. They're across the street. They're on the other side of the tracks. And Jesus said, that's a great sin. Don't shrink the neighborhood. If anyone that God brings across your path, he helped them merely because he needed to be helped. Let me give, uh, how do you know when you're a bad neighbor? Let me give you some of these. These are very convicting because we've all failed at this. But going forward, I trust the Spirit of God will change us in many ways. How do I know if I'm a bad neighbor? One, I avoid people in obvious need. The other side of the street, I avoid people in obvious need. Number two, when I come, I come up with flimsy excuses for refusing to help. Be like, uh, I did something half stupid as a kid, and, and, and my father always said, oh, why did you do that? And they come up with some half cockamamie thing. I remember my father looking at me more than once in the eye with that steel look like, and that makes sense to you? Well, uh, you don't like that one? I got another one. <laughs> and, you know, we're good at that. You know, like, uh, I got an important meeting, or I got a schedule, or I got my wife, or, I, you know, I got to be home, or what. Number three, uh, another bad, uh, uh, how do I know when I'm bad? When I have little concern for the wounded and dying. Hey, it's survival of the fittest. Somebody told me that the other day. Survival of the fittest. Number four, when I'm too selfish to interrupt what I'm doing or to be inconvenienced by someone's problem. I'm too selfish. Boy, and we are, aren't we? Utterly selfish. Mm. I'm looking at a mirror, too. Mm. And number five and last, when I make lame excuses for doing nothing, when deep down I know Jesus wants me to do something for someone. Listen, if it's something good and that thing's idea is rolling around in you, I got news for you, that didn't come from Satan. That did not come from Satan. God put that in your mind. And he wants you to do that and be quick to say, I'm going to do that. And if you do that, God will trust you with more and more and more and more. He will, I promise you. And the blessing will be yours. 
Wow. See then, Jesus draws the story to a close by asking uh, the lawyer who proved to be a neighbor to him. Who proved? In verse 36, you know, the guy was so uh, bigoted, he couldn't bring his lips to form the word Samaritan. Did you see that? He didn't say, oh yeah, the Samaritan. He couldn't even say it. He said, well, yeah, the one who showed mercy. That's how bad and how hard his heart really was. But he answered correctly. Jesus said, uh, now you go and do likewise. Jesus tells us not to look for a neighbor in need. Rather, in his story, he's telling us, you and me, to be a neighbor to all who are in need. The lawyer, like uh, so many of us, we try to shrink the hood where Jesus wants us to consider ourselves to be a neighbor to all. Through his grace and provision, realizing that he owns our schedule and all of the appointments that come our way, and that we are to give his loving care to those that need it. Now, I remind you, I think it's true. It's easier to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength than probably a real human being. Would you agree with that? <laughs> Someone said, you know, I could, uh, I, could I, I could love the world except there are people in it, you know. <laughs> but God can help you and help me to be his love flowing through us to all that he brings across our path. And when we do that, it becomes an incredible context for people to then maybe, just maybe, hear the gospel for the first time. When they ask, why would you do such a thing as that? Why would you give me a drink of water? Why would you welcome me in? And you give the golden opportunity to tell them about the love of God that's in Christ. For, you know, really, it is Jesus who is really the great Samaritan. For he's talking really about himself here. And we were the ones that were not dying, but were dead spiritually. And he came and paid the ultimate price. He didn't do a hit and run. And he gave his life for us that we might live. Wow. He gave us all. And all to him we owe. Well, what are some closing lessons for our life and will be done? Number one, today with the help of Jesus, I'd like to urge each one of us to decide to be a compassionate neighbor to anyone you meet with needs. Will you do that? They may be sitting in your neighborhood, maybe in your house even, in your family, maybe on your sports team, maybe at the Y, maybe at work or school, maybe someone on the road, somebody you don't know. But I know that there are no chances with God. It's all orchestrated. He's that great. And God is up to something, and he wants to use you and me to be the love of Christ to all others, to live a life of love. That really summarizes the great commandment. Don't you love it? I love it. I love biblical Christianity. I feel I sense what it's doing and changing in my own life. The longer I live, the more I want to live selflessly and give myself on the, on the altar of being a blessing and used by God. And I, I know that if you know Christ and love him, God has that yearning in your heart as well. It's not about self. It's not about getting all the stuff for me. That is such a dead end. Number two, get busy and help the people in front of us. There'll be people come across your path. There'll be people you'll, you'll bump into them, whom you're able to help. Maybe these are ones that you, you're aware of even right now, and you've been trying to ignore them. I, I really hope that God doesn't give you rest, that it just, just like a telltale heart just keeps panging your heart. What about, what about that one? What about that? That's not satanic. That's of the Lord. He wants to know, are you willing to be his hands and feet, your wallet, your daytimer? All that you are, is it his, really? 
I know that if we do that as an individual, we do that as a church, this whole community will be turned upside down for Jesus. It'll change. It will. Number three, we have an obligation to love all people. Now let's face it, people are not lovable. They bite, they talk back, they throw stones, they tell you off, they cut you off. I had a guy yell at me. I was driving with my mother the other day. He wanted, he, I was trying to find a parking spot along the river there, and uh, this guy gave me the finger, screamed at me, wanted to know where I got my driver's license. He didn't, he didn't stay around. I was going to tell him. I actually, I had driver ed. I was learned on that road right there. That was, <laughs> I don't, he was not seeking information, though, I don't think. <laughs> I just waved. I said, I was hoping he saw my Pennsylvania license. He'd have a little mercy, you know. But people are messy. But we're not to respond to them in kind. And if you're saved, God will help you and mellow your heart. And that's the gospel. And that's how you know you got the real deal. It is. We have an obligation to love all people. Don't try and redraw the boundaries so it's nice and small and safe and secure. And I can love just these few. There's nothing in that. What's that? Number four. When we love our neighbor, it confirms the gospel of Jesus to others. It has a great way of opening their hearts. It really does. Because it's so uncharacteristic of average people everywhere. They live to get. You live to give. You're going to be so, you'll stand out. And God will say again. They're my trophies of my grace. They're like my son. That's the father. Wow. Number five and last. Jesus alone is the only one who has ever loved God and man with a perfect love. He's the great Samaritan. He paid the great price. He died for our sins. Wow. Well, uh, again, I don't know if State Farm is worth having. Like a good neighbor, they're there. But I do know that you and I are to be neighbors. And that's what we want to do. Amen? Let's stand and be dismissed. Father.